Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. It's good to see everyone. Uh, don't want to start off on a downer, but um, let's not sell you downer. Uh, we had a loss in our family this week. Uh, my wife's uh, stepdad, uh, Ron Mullins, died on Thursday. Uh, there will be a uh, family-only uh, graveside service tomorrow, but on Wednesday at 11 o'clock, uh, the church is invited uh, to the memorial service here. So you're all invited at 11 o'clock on Wednesday. <clears throat> We're in a series called Follow. Just started it last week, so if you want to catch up or we'll review a little bit, you can either do that on Facebook or on our website. Um, this is kind of the, the series that kind of gave our church direction five or six years ago. And we, ha- we say every Sunday what? Following Jesus, changing together. So there's a connection uh, with this series. <clears throat> so we want to start by reviewing a little bit from last week. I want to spend a lot of time. Some of you weren't here. We're trying to figure out what this whole Christianity faith thing is. And so I asked you to start with a blank slate. Pretend you don't understand or believe anything. So what is involved? And we started with the story with Jesus uh, meeting probably one of the worst characters you can imagine to become a Jesus follower. And so we started with a couple of, or we came up with a couple of conclusions. And the first being this, that to be a Jesus follower, being a sinner does not disqualify you. The guy we talked about last week, Matthew, was despised. <laughs> Uh, by his profession as tax collector, he couldn't even worship in the temple, and yet Jesus called this guy to be a follower. So it doesn't disqualify you. In fact, we all qualify. <laughs> we all mess up. Uh, Bible word would be sin. So we all qualify automatically for being a Jesus follower. It doesn't matter how long you've been a quote-unquote sinner. It doesn't matter how much bad stuff you've done or wrong stuff you've done. It's irrelevant. We couldn't outdo Matthew probably. Uh, That does not disqualify you for being a follower. Some people would think so, but it doesn't. Another thing would be being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. So if you don't believe all this stuff, you don't believe all this stuff in the Bible, you don't even believe the Bible is inspired, even though most of us would. If you don't believe you think it's just some fairy tales written thousands of years ago, that's fine. (laughs) That's perfectly fine. You can become a follower. As a follower, it's not based on behavior or belief. It also is not a call to religion or to be religious. And we looked at this last week. The religion of Jesus' day, Judaism, would say something like this. Change, and then you can join us. We've got 600 and some laws. You try and follow these and do the best job you can and go to the temple and all these other things written in the law. If you do those things, you can become one of us. You can become a Jew. Jesus turned it upside down. He said, no, just just come join us. Just hang out with us. Spend time with us. And then you will change. So it was a call to proximity. It was a call to hang out. It was a call to just rub shoulders with Jesus. That's what the call was. It wasn't a call to change anything. It wasn't a call to believe anything. It was just to come and hang out. So we're going to ask this question through this series. With that understanding what it means, am I following? Not have I changed this bad habit or started this good hab- habit, or now I believe all those things that most of us believe in, in this place. Or, so it's not about beliefs. It's not about behavior. 
Am I following? Am I hanging out with Jesus and Jesus' followers? We qualify. <laughs> All right? So am I hanging out with Jesus and Jesus' followers? Am I rubbing shoulders with them? Am I, what's the word I want? Um, absorbing their environment, their character, etc. I got to thinking about Deb and I. We don't believe all the same things. And we certainly don't behave the same way. She's a lot crazier than I am. You most know you know that. Uh, she does stuff I wouldn't do. I think, I don't know if I told you this, when we were in, in France uh, a year and a half, almost two years ago, and we were in uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris on Sunday morning, and we're worshiping in a Catholic church, so in the service there's communion. And uh, so, from my understanding, if you're not Catholic, you're not supposed to participate. So it's, my wife says, I'm going to go forward. I said, okay, if you want to. Up she went, and she was served communion in the Catholic Church, and of course, I didn't do that. So we don't do all the same things. We don't behave the same way. We don't believe all the same things. But I had this intimate relationship with her for over 40 years. So that's what's important. And when that's important, the fact that we're different is less important. But this following thing has stages or phases. We're not all in the same place. We may all be following, but we're not the same place. So we're going to look at a story, again, from the life of Jesus. And this story is interesting because we have multiple accounts of this story. As I said last week, we got, amazingly, we have four accounts of life of Jesus. This unimportant person politically, historically, in this, you know, unimportant country. We have four accounts of his life. And as you would expect, they're not all exactly the same. Uh, or one, we'd only need one. And so they have different details and nuances and so forth. So this story we're going to look at had, is in three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew was a Jesus follower, tax collector. We talked about him last week. Mark became a Jesus follower, and he kind of, best we can tell, wrote Peter's account of Jesus. So he was, uh, Peter was one of the disciples that we're going to see in this story. And then Luke, Luke wasn't one of the disciples, but Luke was a researcher. And he was concerned about people like most of us that aren't Jewish. And so he's writing to non-Jewish people. And, and for one thing, it's longer. He puts in more details, which I like. And uh, helps especially in this story today. Now, as we read it in Matthew or Mark, I can remember being young and even in recent years, the story just bothers me. It doesn't seem to make sense there seems to be some things left out. And as we're going to look at the Luke account, he fills us in, and then it, then it really comes alive. It really becomes uh, meaningful and understandable. We're going to do the Matthew account first and see what you think. <laughs> so this is Matthew writing about, we talked about how he was called last week. We we're talking about how he's calling four other guys, Jesus calling four other followers or disciples. So one day as Jesus was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing, into the, uh, throwing a net into the water. They were fishing for a living. So they were fishermen. They, they used nets, and they fished every day uh, for a living. That's what they did. Uh, some of you fished, but I don't know anybody here that fishes for a living, but that was their, their job. So Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. What in the world does that mean? Fishing for people. I understand fishing for fish. I don't know anything about fishing for people. So right there, it's a little confusing. But then he, the next, next verse, he says this. And they left their nets at once and followed him. What? Who would do that? 
If I came up, to, if some stranger came up to you and said, come follow me, you say, sure. Where, where are you taking me? I'm not going anywhere with you. That's the way the story reads, doesn't it? It seems illogical. It seems actually irresponsible that some stranger comes up and says, come follow me, and you do it. It even gets worse, if you will. <laughs> a little farther up the shore, there's more fishermen, of course. He walks up the shore a little more, sees two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And he called at them, come, come follow me too. And guess what they did? <laughs> they immediately followed him, leaving their boats and their father behind. They left their family, they left their business. Now, to me, that makes no sense. Why would anybody do that? And so we've got this account from Matthew. Matthew's writing mostly to Jewish audience, and maybe they didn't need the details or whatever. Now, I, might have to, I do say, have to say this to you. Some commentators believe these are two different accounts. So Jesus called these guys, they started following, then evidently they stopped following. So if that's your scenario, if you follow once upon a time, then you stop following, then you could fit into that scenario. I personally believe it's the same story. Uh, too many details are the same. Uh, just Luke gives us the details, and when we see the details, it makes a whole lot of sense. It doesn't seem crazy at all. So let's look at Oh, we didn't read the last verse. They left their boats and followed behind. Have you ever met somebody that just, just kind of just did these crazy faith things without much thinking or seemed to much thinking or much logic? Now, I've gotten two reactions, and maybe you've gotten two, had two reactions to those type of people. One, I think, wow, they're really inspiring. I wish I had that kind of faith and just kind of go off without knowing too much and do these, these, these different things. On the other hand, sometimes I see these people and I think they're crazy. I think they're just kind of off the deep end. Uh, you, don't, you have no reference point. You have no logic to, to what you're doing. So that was my, kind of my response to, to this, this, the way that Matthew writes the story. So obviously this takes place in what we call the Holy Land. I'll give you a, show you a map of the Holy Land. And uh, this area is not very big. It's smaller than the state of Maryland, for example. And it's a country, was a country. And a lot of Jesus' ministry took place up here in the north around the Sea of Galilee, like the story we're talking about today and last week. But if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was always headed to where? Jerusalem, which is down here near the bottom. And of course, eventually that's where Jesus was crucified. But a lot of his early ministry, a lot of his ministry took place around the Sea of Galilee. We'll show you a picture of what modern-day Sea of Galilee uh, it doesn't look like Deep Creek, <laughs> and it's a lot bigger than Deep Creek, obviously, um, but that's the Sea of Galilee today. So this is where Jesus is calling, meeting and calling his disciples. So now we're going to read Luke's account. Starts out the same, with a whole lot of different details. So one, Jesus, one day Jesus wasn't just walking along the shore, what was he doing? He was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there were great crowds there. It wasn't just Jesus and two fishermen. There were great crowds pressed in on him. And they were listening to, we would describe it, the word of God, the word of Jesus. And so I put on your outline, following Jesus always begins with information. I'm not going to follow without some kind of information. I'm not going to follow anybody online. I'm not going to follow anybody's blog without some information about this person whether it's somebody I would trust or not, etc. So it always starts with information. And we would call that information truth. 
And we're all in a tr- uh, 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 seeking truth when we're looking for information. I don't want bad information. The weird thing now, we have uh, fake news. I mean, how can news be fake? But we have fake news. So it's not real news. Well, I don't want fake information. I want real information or truthful information so I can base my decisions uh, on truth. So Christianity, faith, following Jesus, whatever term you want to use, isn't what we sometimes refer to as blind faith. In fact, I often say following Jesus, becoming a Jesus follower is the most logical thing you can do assuming a few assumptions that there is a God and, you know, that we are sinners and separated from God and we can't fix that ourselves. So somebody from outside has to fix it and that's what Jesus did. You, you start with those basic assumptions. It's the only religion that makes logical sense that there is. So Christianity or following always start with asking for information, seeking information, seeking truth. And so Jesus is teaching, giving information. And that's what we try and do here at church. He noticed, next verse, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. So he's on the, at the water's edge, he's teaching this crowd, and he notices two boats. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And we'll find out more about that. And evidently, once you went fishing, you've got to clean your nets, get the seaweed off, get the trash out, let your nets dry before you fish the next time. So Jesus, stepping into one of the boats, he asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So Jesus is in the boat. We don't know if Simon's in the boat or not, but Jesus wants him to push him out into the water. We don't know exactly. Maybe he needed more space. Some people say it's for acoustic value. Uh, your voices carry well over water. But anyway, so he pushes out. He's away from the water. He sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. So he's continuing to teach. So he kind of inconvenienced Peter a little bit. He asked him for a favor. Can I, hey, borrow your boat a little while? Just push me out here a little bit. I want to keep teaching. Um, And so, again, he's teaching. So, again, faith, belief, Christianity, whatever, comes by hearing. We just not, it's, again, it's not a blind faith. It's not an ignorant faith. We get information. We hear information. We decipher it. We determine if it's of value or truth to us. And then we make decisions on that, on that basis. So next verse says, when he had finished speaking, so you know, we all stopped speak, talking at some point. <laughs> so he finished his speaking. He said something to Simon or Simon Peter. He says, now go out where it is deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He had done this thousands of times before. But we're going to find out that this is a little different. He's asking Peter to do something he had done a lot, but do it differently. Now, I tried to think of a good example, so bear with me. I don't know these these are great. But for example, we live on a gravel road, dirt road, and like now it's muddy, right? (laughs) And so... We get home, our car is muddy, we wash our car, and as soon as we finish washing our car, we decide, oh, let's go out and get it muddy again. Some of you have four-wheelers. It's like riding your four-wheelers in the mud, you get back, you clean it all up, and you decide, oh, that was so nice and clean, I want to get muddy again. And so you go ride the, the, turn around and ride it up. So this is kind of what we're going to discover with this story with Jesus and the fishing, because Peter had just 
finished fishing and he cleaned his nets, right? So he'd finished fishing, he cleaned his nets. Obviously, the next day or the next time he goes fishing, he's going to do this, but not turn around and do it right away. So, Peter's response is this. Master. Now, master means holy man, teacher, rabbi, whatever. I mean, there's thousands of you out there. There's nothing special about you. You're just one of them. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night. So they put in 8, 10, 12 hours all night fishing already. And they weren't very successful. In fact, they didn't catch a thing. But, so Peter at this point is he's making a decision. He said, okay, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't believe it's going to make any difference. But because you, holy man, rabbi, whatever, say so, I'm willing to give it a try. Now, again, the reason they fished at night, best I could learn, was this. The water gets hot during the day, top of the water, so the fish go deeper where it's cooler. And at night when the water gets cooler, the fish come closer to the top, so it's easier to catch. So that's why they fished at night, not during the day. But now it's daytime, right? Not fishing time, daytime. So Jesus said, I know you do it fish at night, but I want you to do it my way. So what's at stake here? Well, is Peter willing to trust Jesus just a little bit? Have a little teeny bit of bitty faith. He's not asking him to believe, actually believe it's going to work. He's not asking him to believe that he's God. He's not asking him to, to go home and change his behavior. All he's asking is to do, take one little simple step. And most of us have had those, even if you're not Jesus following, if you're not we're glad that you're here, but even if you're not a Jesus follower, you have these nudges, these urges to do something better. You know, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better child, be a better Jesus follower if you are. Be a better employee, better, be a better student. We get these nudges, don't we? Sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. And so Jesus is nudging Peter. Hey, I, I want you to try this. I want you to go fishing during the daytime. Again, he didn't have to change anything, not believe anything, but he had to do it. And he had no way of knowing what hung in the balance here. If he said no, who knows? We never heard of Peter. We never heard of him. Of course, eventually became a leader in the early church. We don't know what hangs in the balance. I got thinking about this and back when I was a teenager. Well, I started going to church when I was 13 or 14 years old. Never been to church. Didn't know any of those Bible stories that some of you grew up in church. Know it. And so when my mom did something, of course my mom took me, and when my mom did something, she was kind of all in. So we started going to Sunday school and morning church, uh, this thing in the evening called church training, kind of like Sunday school in the evening, and then evening church, and then we went on Wednesday. I don't even remember what we did on Wednesday. So I went from not going to church to going to church, you know, three times a week and putting in five or six hours. So I hear these stories, read these stories, and say, this stuff is cool. I never heard it before. This is interesting. So this goes on, we stepped across the line, became Jesus followers, accepted Jesus as our, 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 our Savior, connected us with God. And a couple of years later, I'm going to college. Nobody in my family's ever went to college. And I was enrolled in the University of Maryland. I'm really good grades in science and math, so I enrolled in engineering. We've got a couple engineers over here. But anyway, during that summer, I had this nudge. God saying, I want you to be a pastor. 
I said, no, no, got the wrong guy, God. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm good at science and math. That doesn't help me be a pastor. And I'm really, really shy. You, you can't expect me to get up in front of people and talk. That would be crazy. But before the summer was over, I said, okay, God, because you say so. I'm not going to start preaching. I'm not going to change anything, but I'll change. Well, I did change my major. So I changed my major on the first day of college. Never went to an engineering class. All right, three and a half years later, I didn't change anything. Three and a half years. Uh, graduated from college. Well, I guess if I'm going to do this thing, I've got to go to seminary, right? So I enrolled in seminary, started going to seminary. I, in my first semester of seminary, I decided, you know, I guess I'm going to have to stand in front of people and start talking one of these days, right? So I'm like 21, 22 years old at this point. And so I began that we call preaching thing. I probably was horrible at the beginning, but all of us aren't very good at stuff when we start, right? And a uh, year and a half in into seminary, I got a job at a church for the summer. It's Alex, actually in Alexandria, Virginia. And so uh, I did that. And then, of course, I graduated uh, from seminary. Hadn't done much, hadn't changed much. Now, I did try and do things because Jesus said so. And one thing I did was I didn't date people that weren't Christian. And that, well, I was taught you shouldn't do that. Now, I know some of you did that. You did that, that dating evangelism thing. Uh, sometimes it works, but sometimes it ends horribly. So I did. And, and I got thinking about it. I didn't know what hung in the balance, but if I had done that, I would have probably never met who? My wife. And most of you know her. I have a fantastic wife. And, and uh, I didn't know what hung in the balance at the time, but I had followed those and made those decisions according to that nudging. And many of you have the same stories. So, okay, Jesus, I don't believe it. I think it's a waste of time. But because you say so, I'm willing to give it a try. And so he says, he did. At this time, what happens? The nets were so full, some of you know the story. <laughs> the fish began to tear the nets. And not because they believed it, because I don't think he believed it. But he actually did it. That's what made the difference. Not belief, but doing. So he did it. And he shouted for help, brought their partners in for other boats, and the boats were filled. Both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. Now, at this point, where's your focus going to be? If you're Peter, where's your focus going to be? On a fish. <laughs> I'm a fisherman. I've never seen this before. I've never had a catch like this before. This is remarkable, especially after I fished all night, didn't catch anything, and we're doing it in daytime when the fish are supposed to be down deeper. But the amazing thing is that, and I don't think we would be much different than Simon Peter if we were actually there. Because his focus really, at that point, wasn't on the fish. And I think if we were there, our focus probably wouldn't have been on the fish either. Because what happens? When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus, this is the next verse, and said, O oh Lord, not master anybody, not rabbi, not teacher, not one of a hundred uh, other guys in town, around town. But Lord, you're the one. You're the master. Master meaning Lord. He says, please leave me. I I'm such a sinful man. I'm in the presence of the one, the holy one. And I'm not holy. Now the focus was on Jesus. It wasn't on the fish. Now the fascinating thing to me was about this was if he's going to follow Jesus... Jesus was taking care of the financial needs of his business, 
for at least the next month. That many fish, what I read, was would take care of you financially for the next month. So this was, this is on your outline, this was the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. He was just some guy up until this point. Now he had a relationship. He acknowledged him for who he was. He didn't understand at all, of course. But he was acknowledging this is a holy man and I'm not. And he acknowledged the fact that this guy cares about me and he cares about my family. He provides for my physical needs as well as my spiritual needs. He just gave me this uh, financial, quote, unquote, blessing. And so the reaction to everybody is the same, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him, and then his partners, James and John. So now they're partners, not just another guy down the, down the, down the beach. Uh, sons of Zebedee were amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Isn't it amazing? All these times when Jesus does something miraculous, people get afraid. People get afraid today when we start talking about Jesus, don't they? That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Uh, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Again, what does that mean? Fishing for people. Well, literally what it says is to catch life. To catch life. So I'm catching fish to kill them. <laughs> I'm not giving them life. I'm e- we're eating them. Other people are eating them. So that was to catch to kill. This is to catch to life. Because the way to life is through Jesus. So Peter's itty-bitty faith even though he didn't truly believe, he was, uh, believed enough to try it, intersected with God's faithfulness, and we had this huge, we call miracle, right? So then we read, this is the last verse in the story, then we read, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, sense, I understand this guy just performed this miracle. I understand he's somebody special. Somebody that's worthy of following. Maybe not believing that he's the Messiah yet. Not changing a whole lot about my life. But I'm willing to hang out with this guy some more. And someone's put it this way. Once you have Jesus, you have it all. And the reason is because Jesus becomes your all. So in this story and in my life and probably in your life, we can see phases of following or stages of following. So let's just pick out four and then we'll be finished. First is the sit and listen stage. This is where we all begin. Now for some of you, it might have been as a two-year-old in preschool at church. Uh, For me, it was 13, 14 years of age at church. Um, Sit and listening. Getting information. Like I said, I didn't didn't know the stuff in the Bible. didn't know all the stories and stuff, so I'm getting information. That's where it starts for all of us. We're not asked to just believe in this guy you never heard of before. Second phase we see in the story, and of course the crowds were listening, was loaning the boat. That's being inconvenienced a little bit. In Peter's case, doing favor for Jesus. Uh, this mean, mean coming the starting, starting point. An hour and a half earlier on Sunday. That's a little inconvenience. It's not a big inconvenience. It's a little inconvenience, right? It might mean starting to read your Bible. I'm amazed how many people come to church and don't read their Bible. <laughs> the reason we do this thing is because of what the Bible says. And so you can read it for yourself. You don't need me to read it to you. Um, it might mean just start reading the Bible. Just in, it takes a few minutes of your day and stop and read your Bible. Uh, it can mean coming to church regularly. Instead of coming once in a while, come every week. It might mean volunteering, <laughs> helping out with something. 
That gets us to the third phase. Third phase is taking and fishing. This is where it gets exciting. You actually get involved. You actually change some things. You actually begin to do something differently. You start treating your spouse differently. You start treating your finances differently. You start treating your body differently. You start treating uh, school differently. You start treating your employer differently. You start doing some of the things you've already done differently. I put on your outline, I'll fill in at this point. I really need to, what comes to mind? I really need to get involved in a small group. That's that's the next step for me. I really need to get involved in a ministry, whether it's refuge, helping with teens, or children's ministry here, or some other ministry somewhere else. Just one thing. We're not changing a lot of things. You don't stop some bad habit or start some new habit. Just what uh, what I really need to do. What is that nudge? (laughs) Where is that nudge? What is that one thing? And of course, the fourth phase is to leave your nets. I kind of did this when I was 17. I said, God, I'm, at this point, I'm all in. I don't understand it all. I'm not ready to commit to doing it all, but I'm all in. I'm st- finished collecting information. not finished collecting information, but I have enough information. I'm, do- I'm serious about this. I'm going to stop playing around. I'm all in. Because, as we already said, it's the doing that makes the difference. Lots of people, you, you take a survey in the United States, most people believe in God. Do you think we have a Christian nation? I hope you don't because I certainly don't think we do. It's the doing. People believe all kinds of crazy things. Now here's the thing. The alternative is to wonder. I wonder if I had. I wonder if I had gone to engineering school. I wonder if I dated non-Christian people. Uh, I wonder if. Well, you don't need to wonder. Do. Where is the most challenging area of your life right now? Is it a relationship? For us right now, I would probably say it's a grieving process. What is the most challenging thing? Well, how would my life been different? I'd been an engineer. Could have been a Jesus follows an engineer. My life been different if I had never. Uh, <laughs> I think I left this out of the story. When we moved to Middletown in uh, 1975, I finished up seminary at the end of that year. So it's January '76, and my pastor at Myersville said, "Hey, uh, there's this little church over in Washington County. Um, I don't know Washington County was at that point. Um, they could use some help. You want to help them out?" And I said, "Okay." Uh, didn't know what hung in the balance. Well, I went there, I met my wife, got married, I became the pastor of that, eventually became the pastor of that church. We never know what hangs in the balance. So what is your small voice saying to you? Where is the nudge in your life? On your outline. So whatever is your next step is, take it. Take that step. Stop wondering. You can always step back. You don't like it? Doesn't work out? Now here's the fascinating thing, and then we're finished. When you say yes to Jesus, he takes responsibility for the outcome. 17, there's no way I'm going to be a pastor. Guess what? 
been a pastor for over 40 years. Well, you know, she's cute, but she's not a Christian. I could date her. Uh, 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 uh. Most of you know my wife. I married out of my class, didn't I? <laughs> Don't have to say amen so loudly. <laughs> See, God takes responsibility for the outcome. Well, we, all we need to do is say yes to Jesus. So we'll give you an opportunity. Let's pray and we'll give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for Luke's account of the story anyway. It always bothered me, confused me when I read it in Matthew's account. And God, you give us the information we need to believe. Or we can find it if we just ask. Or we'll keep seeking. We've got folks at all different phases or stages here this morning. I thank you for those that are coming and listening. That's where it starts for all of us. And so, next step for them may be to just come back next week. Uh, maybe for someone it's to get in the starting point where they can actually ask questions. You know, we're not afraid of questions. God, you're not afraid of questions. Uh, maybe it's to get involved, step across the line into faith, step across the line into ministry of some sort, not maybe necessarily a pastor like me, but helping out with student ministry or whatever. Maybe it's financially. Maybe you come to the point, well, God, it's all yours, it's not mine. I, I shouldn't be doing what I want with my money, I should do what you want with my money. Or maybe it's to be all in. Maybe like I did back when I was 17, God's nudging you into some kind of full-time Christian ministry. Pastor Clint can share about his experience. If you're like me, you're scared to death when that first nudge comes. But if you say yes, thank you, God, you took care of that responsibility. I thank you for the life you've given me of not having to wonder if, because I did. God, it's my prayer for each and every person here this morning, especially for anyone that's not yet a Jesus follower to the point of, point of a, establishing a personal relationship with God. Jesus has done all he can do. It's left to you and I to say, yes, Jesus. I want to start, like Peter, I want to start a relationship with you. I want to start hanging out with you. I want you to start changing me. Thank you that you do that for us. You love us enough to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.